Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. This is Bill Free, and welcome to our last day of the conference, a new beginning world conference. And uh, it is my joy and my pleasure to be able to share with you a man that was uh, that I've just re recently met in the last three weeks, and invited him to be part of this conference after I. Uh, watched him do a TED Talk, and uh, a, a friend of mine who is the founder or co-founder of Buddha at the Gas Pump, Rick Archer, recommended Tim to me, and I checked him out, and it didn't take but a few minutes watching Tim on YouTube to say, I want this guy to be part of this conference, and I contacted Tim, and and invited him to come in. And, and right after I invited Tim to come in, I started watching some of his YouTube videos and such. And I am blown away by what this, this guy has to offer for us to, to look at, to consider, to connect with the understanding that he has to share his his, his love and his passion for the truth is evident in the first few words that come out of his mouth. And what he has, uh, what he's made available to the world with his insight and his philosophy is equally uh, representative of the passion that he carries and shares with the world. It, he, um, Tim has... Uh, he's put together, actually, he's, he, he's gone from this idea of individualism to a word that I haven't heard of before, before called univigilism, and he'll tell you more about it in his talk with us today. He'll be with us for 90 minutes, and Tim has written over 35 books, and he is, uh, he is, a philosopher. He's translate his book is translated into more than fifteen languages, and he is one of the most one of the one hundred most spiritually influ influential live people living in twenty twenty list on Watt in Watkins Magazine. He's been nominated for Mind, Body, and Spirit Author of the Year for twenty twenty in Kindred Spirit Magazine. And he's the founder of this new word I haven't seen before called univigilism, which combines evolutionary science and deep spirituality to offer a visionary new understanding of the nature of reality and the purpose of life. He leads experiential deep awakening retreats internationally. And everyone, please give a warm welcome to Tim Freak. Tim, thank you for being here for our last day of the conference, our opening keynote speaker, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well, thank you, Bill. That was, thank you for the lovely introduction. I will uh, do my best to live up to that for, for everyone. And you're right, what I want to talk about is univigilism. Uh, because I think it's very important generally, and with what we're going through with this present crisis, even more important. So the reason you haven't heard of it, it's a word I made up. And I made it up because there wasn't a word which could do the job. 
So it seems to me that this last phase in our evolution has been about individualism. And if you know history, it's an incredible transformation that's happened. We've gone from a state in which most uh, human beings saw themselves primarily as part of a group. And that's what they identified with. And we've make, we're making a transition, and it's been a very positive one, into a place where most human beings see themselves primarily as individuals who think for themselves, who exist in their own right. And this has been a, just a gigantic movement, and there's been a lot of gains. There's been a lot of problems with it too. But I think that's not where it's ending. I think we've entered a phase of transitioning from individuals to univigils. And what I mean by the word univigil is an individual who's conscious of unity. An individual who's consciously one with the universe. Uh, so that's a very old message. That's what spiritual awakening is. And people have been exploring that for hundreds and hundreds of years, but very small groups, uh, trailblazers, people opening up a new possibility on the edges of human culture. But suddenly in my own lifetime, I'm seeing it come into the center of human culture. You know, I started this when I was very, very young, exploring awakening. I, was, I had an experience when I was uh, 12 years old, which opened me up, and then I've been exploring it ever since. That's why I've written so many books and done all that stuff. So decades. And I've seen the change. And, and it's, it's a big one. But you can also see it in culture generally. Like, it's easy to miss because it creeps up on you, but there's never been a time in the whole of human history, remotely, when there's been this much compassion in the world. Sure, there's a lot of bad, a lot of evil, a lot of suffering, no doubt about that. But also, we're seeing a huge number of human beings genuinely caring about other human beings on the other side of the planet who are in trouble, who are, don't have enough food or war. And there's real genuine care. That's never happened before. Why would a human being on one side of the world care about one on the other side? Most of human history, you fought your neighbors, let alone someone on the other side of the planet. That's a huge change. We've also seen it with the natural world. A lot of people feel profoundly connected with the natural world. People care about polar bears and tigers. Why? They, polar bear rip you to pieces. Tiger would too, but we genuinely care. So there's this cross-species compassion, which has grown immensely over the last decades. And then underneath it all, most significant of everything, this growth of spiritual uh, awakening. So that when I used to go out 20, 30 years ago and talk to people about oneness, most people had no idea what I meant. But now when I go out and talk about oneness, the vast majority of people at least have the idea of what that is, and most likely some experience, sometimes a lot of experience. So what I want to do with you in this time I've got is cover as much ground. I'm very, I'm very ambitious. I want to cover as much ground as I can. I want to look at what spiritual awakening is. And then I want to explore a philosophy of individualism, which I've created to support our transitioning into individuals. Because I think if we're going to make this new transition, if this make this new evolutionary jump, we need a new spirituality. We need what I call a trans-scientific spirituality. Because, you know, 400 years ago, we saw the birth of science 
immensely important. And if you, know, if you could take someone from 400 years ago and show them the world now, my God, look at what that's done. A change of paradigm, a change of understanding has produced this. And I think we are now ready for another new understanding. Science is reaching its wonderful thing, but it's, it cuts off, cuts us off from these deeper spiritual experiences. So what we need is something which can integrate science and spirituality, which transcends science and offers a new spirituality because the old spirituality, in my humble opinion, having studied it now for all of my life, is not up to the task to take us forward into the next stage, which it should be expected because we're evolving. And so what we need is a new spirituality to take us forward into the next phase. And I think when we look back then in a hundred years time, it will have had the same influence that the birth of science had, maybe more. It will utterly transform human culture completely. And that's why it matters now and why it matters when we're facing this crisis. And hopefully I'll have a few moments to talk about that. So I want to talk about this, this vision of understanding what reality is, how it can unite those two together. And I want to find time to lead a little meditation because actually univigilism is not just a philosophy it's an experience so i want to do some things that may open up that actual experience for you of being one with the universe and then hopefully we can do some q a and we'll see how that goes so i'm going to move really really fast that's just my nature and because i'm super ambitious to, to, to give you as much information as possible and this is being recorded so you can always watch it back again but I want to try and get to the essence of something which I could talk for days about. Yeah. Before you, uh, before you go, I just want to uh, sort of set uh, for the audience, for anyone that is interested in the Q&A, uh, to please, uh, for when we begin to ask questions and have the Q&A session, please raise your hand, use the hand raise function, and, put, and we'll put you in a queue for that. And then if you have questions that you would like to have read, just type them in the Q&A. And uh, when Tim gets ready for the Q&A session, we'll have the queue set up and then we'll take you on a first come first serve basis. And uh, thank you for, uh, thank you, Tim. We'll just wait for you to finish talking and then we'll open the Q&A. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so I'm gonna dive straight in. To, let's first get spirituality. You know, I've written books on all of the spiritual traditions of the world, finding their commonality. And here's, I think, the essence of that commonality. They're all different. They've all got bits I like better than others, blah, blah. But underneath there is a commonality. And the reason is they're all describing human experience. So they're all, they're all trying to get to the root of something we're experiencing all the time, all of us. And it's about our identity. Wakening is about looking, answering the question, who am I? So when spirituality asks the question, who am I? Actually, its answer is very simple, essentially. And I'm going to use the language from the Western tradition, but you could use the Eastern traditions just as easily. And the answer it gives to this question, who am I, is first and foremost, well, you're a body and you're a soul. What does that mean? Well, here's the body. It's a biological thing. You've got one of those. They're very cool some of the time. Everyone should have one. But you're also something else, and you're experiencing a different level of reality all the time. And we call it, in, in modern parlance, in, in science, it's called the psyche. And the word psyche is the Greek word that means soul. So you are experiencing the body and the soul all the time. 
which is an, a flow of sensory experience of the world and imaginal experience of the psyche. And they're completely different. One is material, one is not material, hence it's called spiritual. This is the spiritual world. You're in it right now. You're always in it. You're in the physical world of the body and the spiritual world of the psyche or the soul in which things are imaginal. They don't exist in the space of the world. Where, where is the psyche? It's, it's nowhere. It's its own domain. So a lot of spirituality is to do with the psyche. Uh, a lot of it's to do with the idea that when the body dies, the psyche doesn't die. That continues. Uh, and the psyche is the place of where you find meaning and story and narrative and understanding. And in fact, a really good way very quickly to really get to the difference between these two experiences, if it's not completely obvious, which I hope it is, is when you listen to me, just be aware that in the world of, world of the body of the senses, what you're experiencing actually is a monkey wearing clothes, making funny noises. And then what you experience in the psyche is meaning. There's no meaning in the funny noises. There's meaning in the psyche. It's a completely different level of, of reality. There you are, body and soul. Okay, now onto the one that I'm gonna be concerned with today, which is this third element, which in the West gets called a spirit or essence, uh, nous, pneuma, in the East, Atman, Buddha nature. What's that? And to get that, it's very simple and you can just, Tune into it with me as I speak. What is it that is, that is experiencing the body and the soul? What's experiencing this flow of sensory ex of information and imaginal information? What is it? What's the experiencer? What's this deep I? Because it's not the body and it's not the soul. They're experiences. What's the experiencer? So, I'm gonna give you now we're, this is what I said, we're moving fast. I'm going to give you now uh, what I think is the deep essence of every single mystical tradition, and I'm going to give you it in 30 seconds. So here you go. Ready? Your deepest I has no form. Body has a form, physical form. Psyche has an imaginal form. Your deepest I has no form. And it sounds really weird, but it's not as weird as it sounds. Because what it's saying is, look, it has no color. It's looking at color, but it has no color. It's listening to thoughts, but it isn't a thought. It's listening to sound, but it isn't a sound. It has no other qualities than being. It just is. And the way you tune into it is to find that place in your, in your, in your, where you just are. The thing which stays the same. The witness of this moment. The experiencer. So that's your, that's the awakening is to discover this formless essence. And if you go deep into it, you find that that formless being in you is the formless being in everyone because everything is arising from this oneness, this formless oneness. So a lot of the practical stuff I do with people around awakening, becoming what I call deep awake is to introduce them to ways to experience their spirit. If you use the traditional language or the Atman, the deep I, their being. Okay, that's the essence, I think, of the spiritual message. Wake up, you're a body, you're a soul, and your depths of your being is one with everything, because there's one being. There's a body and soul, you're individual, 
but at your depths, your being is the being of everything. And the last point, which is important, I think very important to me, is that when you experience that oneness, it's not some detached, you know, it holds everything within it. And it's experienced by the body and soul as the most enormous love. So at the end of the day, spirituality is about awakening to oneness and love, what I call big love, just this enormous love. You may have tasted it. If you have, you'll know. It's just the most, yeah. So how can that fit with science to give us a truly trans-scientific spirituality that we could take us forwards as individuals? Because to become a individual is to discover your deep being, which is one with all. That's what it is. So you're an individual who's conscious of unity. So we're going to look at this individual philosophy, like I said, in, in the broadest terms. And what it does is it takes what I think is arguably one of the greatest ideas that human beings have ever had, certainly in the last few hundred years. Enormous idea. What we discovered 100 years ago was that the universe isn't a thing. The universe is a process. It's an evolutionary process. We thought for, you know, it was a big breakthrough when, when we realized that life had, had evolved. But 100 years ago, we realized everything has evolved. The whole universe has evolved. So we've seen this, you know, 13 point billion years ago, what existed was hydrogen and a bit of helium, gas. 13.8 billion years later, there's you and me discussing the nature of the universe. That's huge, isn't it? That's really significant. And at the edge of that process is where individuals are turning into individuals. That's where it's led to so far. And it's gone from 10 billion years in which we saw the evolution of the material universe and then 4 billion years of the evolution of all the forms of life leading to us and sensory awareness of the world, conscious awareness of the world, knowing that we exist, not just that we're experiencing things, but we know we are. And then the ev evolution of the world of the imagination of images and that's the cutting edge. Here we are in that world of images right now. That's where this conversation is happening in that world of psyche or soul. So what's the ground of all that? What's the simplest thing that this has come from? And what I want to suggest is that when I, when I look at, when I look at the, the quality, all the qualities of, of the universe, of the emergent universe, all the qualities that have emerged, so vast and rich. But everything shares one quality. And that's the quality of being. So that seems to me the place to start. Start with something which is just being. And that being has the potential to become anything. And that's what it's doing. So that this process we're in is the process in which being is becoming ever more emergent 
It's realizing ever more emergent possibilities. Because you look at every moment, it's new, new, new. Based on what's been before, this. Based on what's been before, this. Based on what's been before, now this. And that process has got us from hydrogen to the whole universe, to all of life, to you and me having a conversation. That process of being becoming ever more. And the being is in everything. It's not separate from it. It is it. I am being Tim. You are being you in the universe, which is being itself, all the different aspects of it. So I want to make one thing very, very clear because people often get, make, make this mistake. Because I'm following this scientific narrative, I am not a materialist. The problem with science, for all of its great qualities, the place it goes wrong is that often it is what is called reductionist, which says, understand the greater thing by reducing it to the lesser thing, to its parts. So that's a very powerful way to understand things. But it doesn't help you, or, or it's a very powerful way to understand how things work. It's not a powerful way, actually, to understand things because you dismantle them. So a reductionist would say, hey, Tim, um, you think you love your life, your wife, but really that's just chemicals. Uh, you, you think you're having these thoughts, but really that's just the brain. Uh, everything is reduced to, well, really what this is, is atoms. Oh, now we found there's subatomic particles. Really, this is this. So the most primitive is what's real. I think that's completely wrong. It's the other way around. Or what I'm, is, I, what I'm putting forward is a, an emergentist, not a reductionist view, which goes, look, no, the whole universe is emerging as ever greater possibilities are realized. It's a creative process. And the, the greater, more emergent levels are just as real. They're just more emergent. They're just better. So that the body and the psyche is, the, is not unreal. It's not some illusion created by atoms banging up against each other. It's the most emergent level of the whole process. So we've got this idea of this quality of this field of being taking on all these different qualities. And that's, that individuates into all of the different things of life. So these qualities become patterns which are individuating. And so this leads me to an understanding which is central to what I think we need to understand right now, which is unlike old views of spirituality, which went the universe, it's all one. I think we can now go, do you know what? That's not quite right. Actually, existence is the one in relationship with itself. That's what it is. It's a process in which being is becoming in ever more emergent ways by realizing ever more emergent potentials. And in doing that, it is constantly in relationship with itself through everything that it is arising as. Everything from an atom to a molecule to a plant to an animal to you and me. Here I am. I am that process in relationship with the universe. 
So what this is saying is you are the universe in relationship to itself as you. I'm the universe in relationship to itself as Tim. We are the universe. What else could we be if we're not the universe? We've come from the universe. We are the universe. So what this view is saying is, look, this field of being has arisen as everything, as the universe is in relationship with itself. And the field of being has no qualities but being. Now, when we did our very, very quick trip through the essence of spirituality, I suggested to you that what it was about was waking up to your deepest identity, your being, which had no qualities other than being. So here's what I think is happening. I think the universe has become, is becoming conscious of itself. At a certain point in the biological phase of evolution, the biological forms, primitive ones, were taking in a lot of information from the world around them. And they were doing that unconsciously. They didn't know they were doing it. It was just being taken in. Like my camera is taking information in. It's taking it in, doesn't know it is. But it is. And the early forms of life are like that. But at a certain point, this huge moment happens where it's taking in so much information that some of it really matters and most of it doesn't. Some of it really matters because the life form has an agenda. It wants to stay alive or it wants to reproduce. It wants to eat or not be eaten. So some information, really important. Most information, not so much. And what happens is that it prejudices the processing of the important information and leaves the rest. Still processes it, but that's unconscious. It focuses its subjectivity. And that is what we mean, I think, by consciousness. So right now, I'm focusing my subjectivity on talking to you. And I'm unconscious of everything else. That's all being taken in unconsciously. Where I put my focus, where I put my attention, is like a spotlight, becomes consciousness. And that's obviously evolved bit by bit by bit until here we are as human beings. We have this attention, which is consciousness, conscious. And now we're conscious of the universe. The universe can look at itself consciously. It can listen to itself consciously. It can think about itself consciously. And we can move that attention around. We're doing it all the time. And wherever we move it, conscious. Wherever we've moved it from, that's now unconscious. So what happens now when we take our attention at this level of emergence as souls, as psyches, and do what spiritual teachers have been telling us to do for hundreds and hundreds of years, which is take that conscious attention and place it on our own deep being. When we do that, we become conscious of this formless field of being from which everything is arising and which everything is an expression of. At that point, we are seeing, not seeing, we are ex deeply experiencing that we are one with everything. 
And that's what it is to be a individual. And that's why I think the, this movement, which is now beginning, it's beginning to take, it's beginning to gather momentum. I don't know how fast it will go. It's still very small right now, very, very small. But it's much bigger than it was. Is the process by which human beings are becoming conscious of their individuality by recognizing that their being is one with all being. So there's loads I'd like to talk to you about the nature of the soul and uh, the psyche and why that's so important, what that can teach us, I think, about um, uh, death, uh, magic, the way that life becomes so dreamlike. There's a lot of spiritual stuff to unpack. But let me just say what I think the essence is here uh, in terms of science and spirituality. What I'm saying to science is, I think they've both got a shift. If they're going to integrate, but we have a new understanding, they've both got a shift. And it's a, not a big shift, but it's a shift. What science has got to do is give up reductionism. It's got to stop saying that the less emergent, the more basic is more real. It isn't. It's all real. Everything, all the levels of emergence are, are real. It's, the more emergence, just more interesting, really so that it stops arriving at biology and then goes, oh yeah. And then this is other experience of psyche, which is non-material and strange. And it's just a byproduct of biology. It's not a byproduct of biology. It's a whole new realm of, re of existence. It's an emergent level of existence. I said the cosmos has evolved into the imaginos, this realm of, of, imaginal information and if you meditate or you take ayahuasca or you do shamanic practices or anything all these spiritual practices it's huge out there in the imaginos like it is huge here in the cosmos and that is what i'm saying to science is don't stop the evolutionary process with biology because most of the evolutionary process is now happening in psyche in the imaginos and that's where spirituality has enormous wisdom to unite with our scientific knowledge. And then I'm saying to spirituality, you know that, that realm, what I call the imaginos, the bardos, heaven, the spiritual dimensions, what all the thousands of names that it has. Consider the possibility that that's not eternal, that it's not just there hanging around for some reason, and, but rather that it has evolved. Consider the possibility that everything has evolved because what we're in is the process of being becoming everything. Everything has evolved. So the realm that people experience in near-death experiences, the realm you go off to in shamanic states, all, that has evolved like everything. It's a very emergent level of reality. And what that does is it turns around the negative part of the spiritual story. Because spirituality, in its traditional form, can be very negative, actually. Because the underlying message is, uh, you were once in the oneness and you fell away, or you were a soul and you fell into incarnation. Plato says, the body is a tomb. You, you, you're caught in illusion. You've got caught in separateness, individuality. It's all a big mistake. You're in Maya, and you need to get home. 
You need to get free from this prison or this illusion. You're caught up in time. That's an illusion. You have human desires. They're a bad thing. Uh, you have an ego. That's a terrible thing. You think that's bad. All, everything that makes you human is keeping you in this. And really, you should get back to this. And somehow God's had this big dream and got caught up in the dream. And it's all a big mistake. Now, I'm playing in the way I've said it. But fundamentally, that is the message. It's the story of the fall. What I'm suggesting is not the story of the fall. I'm talking about the story of emergence. So it's not one of fall and contraction. It's one of evolution and expansion. We haven't fallen from heaven. We're growing into it. And what that does, which is really important, is it changes the role, the way we see the individual. Because on the really deep forms of spirituality, the so-called non-dual forms of spirituality, which are definitely about waking up to the oneness, to the formless, seeing that everything is part of one thing, the message is, oh, you don't see it because you have an individuality. That's what's in the way. Get rid of your individuality. If you could just kill the ego or get rid of it somehow, or get, you know, set, and, and the ego will put up a fight too because it doesn't want to die. It'll go, no, that's not right. How about the, the reason that the individuality puts up a fight is because it isn't right. Because the individual is not the obstacle. There hasn't been a big mistake. The individual is the foundation from which we wake up to the oneness. So the journey, if you were to see it in big terms, and this is a, 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 actually a, a motif you can see in a lot of ancient myths. The journey is from the, uh, the unconscious oneness with which the universe starts through ever-increasing increasing conscious individuality until it reaches us in this period of individualism. And then it's going to conscious oneness. Unconscious oneness, conscious individuality to conscious oneness. And the conscious comes with the, the separateness, comes with the individuality. It comes with being the one in relationship to itself. And when that relationship is big enough, rich enough, through being an individual, through being Tim, I can see that I'm the universe. Tim's not in the way. Tim's not perfect. And there's a lot of things which can be better about Tim for sure. But Tim's not in the way fundamentally. Fundamentally, I am conscious at all because of Tim. I have this attention because of Tim, and I can place that attention in the oneness because of Tim. Now, when I do that, and if you do it deeply enough, especially if you do it in meditation, but it can happen anyway, if you really focus on it, and it's a beautiful thing to do, I mean, so beautiful, it can feel like the individual disappears. And that's what you'll hear. Oh, the individual disappears, and, uh, and then probably it reappears again and, oh, you're back. Here's what I think is happening. Whenever you place your, your attention, your consciousness on something, everything else becomes unconscious. So if I pay attention to my hand, I'm not conscious of my foot. But my foot's still there. I'm just not conscious of it. So if you pay attention so deeply to your being, it will be, you, you won't be conscious of thoughts. You won't be conscious of your body. You won't be conscious of the individual at all. And that's great. But the individual hasn't gone anywhere. It's just now unconscious. So when you bring your attention back, there it is. And here's the twist. You are only able to be conscious of the oneness 
because of the individual. So rather than condemning your individuality, what it says is your evolution as an individual psyche or soul really matters. You really matter. Your life is not a mistake. It's not a something you've got to get away from. It's actually the universe in this profound evolution. That's what you are. You are that. You are the, the, the one in relationship to itself evolving as a particular perspective through which you can come to this individuality, not just unity, but the individual conscious of unity, which is love. So, I want to end this part um, with uh, one more big idea, and then we'll do a little meditation um, around this. Where's this going? Okay, individuality. Yeah, it is. That's what's happening right now. But is there anything beyond us that it's going to? Now, I think there is. And I offer this to you in all humility as a possibility for you to explore. Since I've been a little boy, I've experienced something bigger than me that traditionally gets called God, and which is full of love, the conscious oneness. Except there's a problem with this, because traditionally we place that divine transcendent spirit being, we, we pointed at the beginning. And if you put that being at the beginning, there are real issues, which is why lots of people, especially where I live in the UK, have rejected that God. And I think rightly. Because if that God is the creator or even the imagination that's dreaming the dream of life or whatever metaphor that you use, there are real problems. Uh, you know, just very quickly, I'm sure you know them, but firstly, you know, well, where did that come from? What have you, you haven't explained anything. You haven't explained the universe. If you say it came from God, you've just replaced one mystery by an even bigger mystery. So it's, it has no explanatory value. And then you have a lot of moral problems. Like why is, does it allow all the suffering? You know, do we have to have, parasites that eat babies' brains from the inside? Really? Do we have to have that? Couldn't we have done the whole thing without that? Um, and, and the craziness, you know, five full extinction periods in the evolutionary process. 150 billion year, a million years at least of dinosaurs. Why? It's all a bit nuts. So put God at the beginning, and, and, and I don't find him attractive because he's kind of crazy and mean, and he's nothing like what I experience, which is love. So here's the possibility that I'm going to end my evolutionary story with. What if that great being of love is not where it comes from, but it's where it's going? That the universe is flowering into this transcendent and imminent being, being that includes everything within it. And that when we become conscious of the oneness, when we become individuals, we enter into a communion of souls with all those others who are also becoming individuals. And that is giving birth to something greater than us, which is the universe conscious of itself. And I get a, to be a part of that, just like all the cells in my body have got together to be something bigger than them, 
I get to be like one of those cells in something bigger than me. And I, so I have no idea what it would be like to be God any more than a cell knows what it's like to be Tim. But I do know what it feels like to commune in that. Because that feels like love. That feels like oneness and love. So the vision here is everything is being in the process of becoming in ever more emergent ways. It starts with the simplicity of being and is moving towards the most emergent thing. It doesn't start with love. It ends with love. It doesn't start with God. It ends with God. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't start with all of the great qualities we love, of justice and equality and compassion and even consciousness. It starts with the simplest things. And it builds towards the more emergent. What is the most emergent thing we can imagine? I started by saying, what's the least emergent thing? And suggested that's being, the isness of everything. What's the most emergent thing? Well, the universe conscious of itself, perhaps, which is one of the things we could describe as, as God. So, the image to get that with, really, is just think about your own journey. You know, you know that you started your body started as a an egg it didn't start with you going mm, having a think about ideas and looking at the world it started with an egg something so small and inconsequential that when we you know we're willing to you know they're not we don't even see them as alive and then it led to you now where you are conscious and have a psyche and and in the same way i think the universe might be doing the same thing growing up into, flowering into this emergent, most emergent possibility. And, and we are playing a role in that. In a sense, we are creating God by coming into this deep communion of being individuals conscious of oneness. So, it feels like what we need to make this jump is a practical, loved-based, rational, trans-scientific spirituality. And what I've been sharing with you is my attempt to contribute something towards that so that we can really see what we're in. We can see how significant it is and we can see how significant our individual lives are. And that spirituality isn't about escaping out. It's about waking up to what this is and entering in bringing the love in, contributing, actually helping this move on and, and, and serving that love, which is the greatest joy, I think. And then you, I think you can, hopefully you can see now how this can be of such relevance in this situation where we're, we're facing COVID because it has thrown everything up in the air. And there's a lot of people that think it's going to be a disaster. And there's a lot of people that think somehow it's all going to magically turn out to be utopia. And I think the reasonable response is to say it's going to be a bit of both. It's going to be uncertain. And when things are uncertain, they can get much worse. But there's also the possibility they can get much better. So it feels like we are in absolutely a key moment in that process when things when everything starts shaking which is shaking now but it's going to shake more because we've unsettled everything now what, are we going to retract into our individuality and go it's about me 
or are we going to expand into our individuality and go, it's about us and it's about love. And it's about having the wisdom to know how to love. And part of that is to just see what we're in. Because if we follow the scientific view, we're just in, a, you know, we're on a, a little rock in the middle of nowhere, living meaningless lives for a very short period, and then bang, you're gone. And if we take the spiritual view, it's kind of a bit sh sugary sweet, I think, often. It's often irrational and often about a fall that we need to get away from. But if we can come up with something new to take us through, it can give us the inspiration we need to actually engage with the situation this, that the, the evolutionary process has led to right now. Tim, oh my God. <laughs> Tim, you have uh, really, you really have the attention of the audience. No joke. People are like stunned, many, and wow, and really, uh, I mean, I'm just blown away by what you have to offer and these ideas, so profound. Oh, my God. And exciting the universe of consciousness itself that is is knowing itself and i love the picture that you're that you're presenting the picture of consciousness that's beginning to know itself and and that is the truth that to me is what has pulled all of us to the experience that we're in right now that's the experience and and all of us in this conference and other conferences that are that are just blowing up around the world and uh, your presentation, my brother, and, and <laughs> you're just freaking blowing my mind in the best way. Thank you. And uh, Tim, we have a lot of comments on the board. Yeah, unhinged. Oliver Blue says unhinged. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a lot of comments on the chat board. We have a number of Q&A uh, questions that are fantastic, really some perfect questions for your for you and for what you've just presented and then we've we have uh hands up that, to come on live so we'll and then you, you wanted to do a meditation so we'll play this in whichever direction that you want to go first i think after all the talking let's just it'll only be a short meditation because we haven't got that long together but i think just exploring it let's i'd like to do like a like a little contemplation to see if we can get this vision in experience and, and then let's open it up for the conversation and uh, we can go wherever that goes. Let's go with that. So let's go with that. Yeah. So what I'd like everyone to do uh, is be comfortable. That's really important. Be comfortable. And don't close your eyes quite yet. I want you to start just looking around your environment, wherever it is. Like I've got my window here in my office. And just home into the meaning of this simple observation that all of these different things with all of their different qualities, inanimate things, living things, empty space, apparently, air, gas, everything shares one quality, and that's the quality of being.
and feel into your being in the middle of that great sea of being, like one ocean of being with all of these, all of these different forms of being in the one ocean. And if you feel like you can begin to get that and when you're ready, then, then close your eyes and just home in on that. Home in on that universality of being. And then in all of that sea of being, home in on your own body, being your body. And feel its individuality. That it's an individual expression of being. and its integratedness, that it's a, a thing in itself, a process in itself. And be conscious that it exists in relationship with everything else in the universe. That you are a form of being as a body in relationship with all of the other forms of being that you can see and hear and touch. And then let's be conscious that the body is not simply individual. It is completely integrated actually into the rest of physical being. So be conscious that the body exists in an ecology of biological life and couldn't possibly exist without that. The food it relies on, water, the sun, which gives its energies to the plants, and sense that that whole ecology of life is also what you are. That you have an individual nature as this body, but a universal nature as not just the whole of life, but actually the whole of the physical universe. It's a lovely discovery of science that we now know that the very chemicals that make up your body 
were created in ancient stars. Your chemical existence is arising directly from ancient stars. You are stardust, literally. Individual body, but an integral part of the oneness of the universe with which you're relating. And expand your sense of identity so that you're not just the individual, you're also the universal. I am the ecology of nature arising as Tim. I am the universe arising as this body in this place. And you are also a body arising, integrated into the universe, but individual within it. And then let's be conscious of the psyche, the imagination, the soul. And as I do that, I'm taking my attention out of the world of the senses into a very different dimension of reality. It's the world of images and thoughts, memories, feelings, stories. And I'm conscious that in the psyche, I don't exist as a physical body, and I'm not in space. I exist as the hero of a story, the story of my life. But this is a, a realm of reality, not held together by cause and effect, like the physical world, but held together by meaning and narrative. So be conscious of the story of you, your life, in your psyche. Your individual life that makes you, you. That's your individuality on the level of soul. But you are not alone. Be conscious of how the story of your life is filled and connected with the story of so many other people's lives. That your soul, your psyche, is also part of an ecology of soul, in which we are all connected with so many others. And be 
conscious of that web of connection of your soul to all the souls that have touched your life and are touching your life. Especially those deep connections of, of love. And the soul is, is, is non-local, it doesn't exist in a particular place. So be conscious that we are all connected right now, all over the world. You are connected with all of the other psyches who are exploring individuality with you. In this ecology of soul of which we exist in which we exist be conscious that this realm this non-material realm this spiritual realm this realm of imaginal information is an ecology of souls. Just like the biological world is an ecology of life. And that each one of us is individual, but also each one of us is the whole thing universal and expand your sense of identity to include not just your individual but also your uni universal nature And then see what happens if you take your attention and you reach out to the most emergent thing. If you reach out to something that actually transcends your individuality, something greater than your own soul. And when I do that, it's like I'm becoming conscious of a transcendent presence that holds everything within it. So it is transcendent and imminent. And I get to be a part of it by giving it my attention. And when I do, I can taste the love that holds everything together because love is how oneness 
feels in the body and the soul. One of the traditional names, the old names for this presence is God, Brahman, so many names. The universe becoming conscious of itself. And if you can feel that love rising from the oneness and empowering your individuality to really live, then I invite you to join me, if you feel to, in making a commitment to that love, to become a vehicle for that love as best we can, to do our best to do our best, to bring that love, to find that love, to find that oneness and bring it into our evolving world. Because this awakening is not an individual thing. It's a communal thing. Because there's one of us. So let's just take a few moments and sink deeply into that oneness and that enormous love. And then when you're ready, bringing the attention right back down to the individual, which is still there, sitting in your chair, waiting for your attention. The foundation from which you've done the whole exploration. And give that body a little wiggle. Let it know you love it. And open your eyes. And here we are. All of us, all these different individuals in the middle of all of this ocean of oneness. And as, we all as we're all coming at this from an absolutely individual place, everyone will have a different question. So let's, uh, 
let's do some of those and and see where we go with the uh, 25 minutes we've got left okay well we have we have uh, some hands up the bernadette uh, has had her hand up uh, first and bernadette i'm going to invite you to come on as a panelist join us in person or in video and we have a number of q a questions that will alternate with the q a questions and are you coming on do you see us uh i i see your you're here can you turn your video and your mic on please bernadette are you there bernadette was that a mistake that your hand was up All right, I'll go to the next hand. And um, Candy, no, Maureen Muldoon, you'll be next. I'll promote you to panelist. And Bernadette, I'm going to put your hand down, put you back. Maureen, do Hi. you? Hi, welcome. Hey. Good morning. Hi. Well, uh, I can speak for everyone to say you just blew our minds wide open. And so I'm just trying to figure out how to put this question into words. <laughs> so bear with me. Um, the question is, thank you so much, first of all, for giving us permission to be both God and human. So that was the first thing that I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted to say was, um, in my own personal journey, I have really attempted to, um, to see like the woman that I am in this inner tube uh, of, of consciousness floating in this ocean of bigger consciousness. And I sought to know the makings of the, the individual, the body, the personality. And I've sought to understand the, the soul of this character that I'm playing. And, um, and I've understood that I will never know the entire ocean that I'm floating in. But through these practices, I have found that, that it's possible for me to imagine the woman and the inner tube like sugar and the ocean like God's cup of tea allowed to melt into. And uh, and I found like that's, that's the goal, to melt into God and to merge into everything. And that's kind of scary, right? And, um, and then because I fear at the cusp of that, I'll lose who I am, but that's the direction I'm supposed to go in. So Perfect. what you brought to mind was that it's absolutely okay for me to vacillate between the two and that there's no degrees that it's almost like I'm living on the, in the center of the infinity sign where I can... I've lost you there, Maureen. I lost oh. you. Oh. oh, can you hear me now? Ah, have you lost me, I wonder? Uh, I think, uh, Tim, I still see you and Maureen. Well, oh, I think we lost, uh, maybe we lost Tim. Maureen, can you still see me? Yeah, I can see can you and me? I can see Tim. Okay, he's frozen. I, th I think we lost his signal. Oh. Yeah, so well. he'll, he, he will likely be right back okay. if, if we lost him. He probably just has a, a signal problem. Yeah, yeah, there you are. <laughs> I, you, you melted into the tea of God. 
And now you're back. <laughs> oh, uh, unmute your mic, Tim. I'm there sorry you. about that. I don't know what happened. Did it crash? Yeah, you, your side, we stayed here and we were waiting for you to come back. So Isn't that typical? Because for me, it's like you guys disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, funny. Maureen, I think I've got your question. Um, so, and I think it's a really great question um, because it helps me kind of focus on and a lovely mug, by the way. Uh, the, it helps me focus what I think the changes that we need to make. So like you, I thought, oh yeah, the job is I've got to melt or disappear. Or, and, and when I felt like I did melt into God or to oneness or love, it was really nice. It was like, well, why can't I do that more? And then there was this thing stopping me. And then I was told by people that that was my ego and that it would resist and I had to get rid of it. And to cut a long story short, what I realized for myself at a certain point was that wasn't my ego, that was my wisdom because actually I'd spent a lifetime developing an individual and it was a complete mistake to get rid of it. What I needed to do was the opposite. I needed to, to, to build up my individuality, my soul, my timness, sufficiently that, that I was sufficiently evolved that I could sustain taking my attention so far into God, it felt like everything else wasn't there. But it would be when I came back to it. And there, were, and there was the experience felt like melting, but my individuality didn't actually disappear. And so when I tried to get rid of it, it went, no, don't get rid of me. <laughs> that would be a complete mistake. And it resists. And it's a good thing it does. So this is why I, I really don't like the whole attack on the individual, because I think it undermines the very thing we're doing. So... And, and, you know, I know exactly what you mean. And, I, and, and believe me, I've got books where I've said the same thing myself. But I would encourage you to slightly twink your language so that you're not a character you're playing, but you're Maureen. You're really Maureen. Now, you're not just Maureen. You're a soul which has gone through many lives. You're, you're the whole universe, but you're not playing a character. You are Maureen. And the whole universe has become Maureen. And it's done that for a very good reason. And Maureen is, I suspect like me, she's got a mixed sides and all the rest of it. But fundamentally, it's beautiful that Maureen is on this journey and that she can have these experiences and that she can play a role in this blossoming into the more emergent. And, I, and I, that's the way I want to turn it around. Thank you. Yes, thank you. You know, I come from a, a, a background as an actor, so I'm used to using that right. vernacular. Right. But yeah. I really do appreciate the core concept of loving this individual and playing with it and yeah. enjoying it. Yeah. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Maureen, for coming on the video. And that was a great question and awesome answer too. Thank you, Tim. We have a we have an, a Q and A question. I'd like to shift to the Q and A kind of alternate. This is from Michelle. She said, "Hi Tim, thank you so much for being here. I love what you're saying. Can you tell me about death and the body? Where does our soul go when we are no longer focused on being our body? Do we remember who we were as a body and the other bodies we shared life with?" And finally, do we acquire another body over and over? Love and light to you, Michelle. 
Thank you, Michelle. Great. Now, well, you see, the, that, that's, you know, the whole thing really is about death, isn't it? I sometimes think if death didn't exist, we probably wouldn't bother with any of this, but it does. And so that's the big question. Well, I'll tell you my, where I've ended up, and then I'll try and say very quickly why. Uh, I think we, well, we do survive death. Uh, and I think actually, from all of the evidence, actually, that, that, that we remember everything, actually. So what we can do, if you understand that you are the body and the soul right now, you are already in the, the other realm. You're in it, always. You're always in both. So the question, you can understand, what's the question about death? The question is, when the body dies, and this experience we're having of sensation stops, does the experience of the imaginal realm continue? And I think there's a lot of, lot of evidence, as well as the intuitions that arise from when you explore spirituality in some depth, is most certainly it does. In fact, what happens is you go deeper into it. So, you know, like at night, you know, you can have an, if you, if you imagine something now, it's there, but it's probably a little bit vague. But if your body is asleep so that you're not conscious of the body, you can have a dreams which are so vivid, they're more real than reality or this reality. And that seems to be what people describe in the near-death experience, that you're going into a communal dream, which has, in my view, evolved from this one. Heaven has evolved, like everything. And what's happening, you know, again, I'm going to say this very quickly, is that the process on the biological level, the evolutionary process has been about the evolving of species. And the best thing to evolve species is death. Because create something new, let it reproduce, kill it off, make some space for the next thing. And it's done that really, really well. So we've had this, this process of natural selection in some form or other, which has created all of these fantastically strong, diverse species. But death is great for developing species, but disastrous for developing individuals because they keep dying. So what's happened in the universe, I think, is it's evolved immortality. It's evolved onto a level which isn't made of biology. It's made of informational matter informational information it's not it's not made of matter at all you know you can look at that now it's the you're in it and and it doesn't die so the very quick analogy if you think about your computer you've got information on your computer and it looks like if the computer blows up it would die you'd lose all the information but if you're like me that information is also on the cloud so that when the computer dies the information's still there and that's what's going on right now. The information is tied into the body, the psychic information, but it's also in its own realm. So that when the body dies, that continues and goes on a journey. So that, so that what, while life and death is the process for natural selection of species, come, reincarnation is the process through which souls evolve as individuals. And that's what we're in. Thank you, Tim. That was a great answer and very helpful. And uh, I'll bring on Candy Turner now. She's going to come on in a live video. And John Mundy, you're going to be next. Would you raise your hand so I can bring you on live also, please? Candy? There Hi, Candy. Are. Hi. Can you un unmute your mic, please? Yes, I... Try to say go. hi. Hello. All right. Yes, hi. Well, uh, I'm 
I want to say I enjoyed everything, and I've enjoyed all my travels and times in, in England, and I'm back home in Missouri, and uh, I want to ask if this evolving that you're talking about could also be stated something like uh, jumping timelines. No, I don't think so. Um, I think I, I, I personally don't find those ideas uh, very, very coherent. And I'll tell you why. Because I think they misunderstand the nature of time. And absolutely central to this individual philosophy is actually an understanding of time, which I haven't shared, but I'll maybe just share it a little bit now to leave you something to think with, to think about, see what it makes any sense to you. So if I look at time, what I notice is, here it is, is that actually existence is a flow of time or a flow of change, let's say, which we call time or measure with time. So that's, you know, certainly it's not an illusion, as people often say, it's the very nature of existence. And I see two qualities that it has always. One is every new moment realizes a new possibility. So it's always that process of being in the process of becoming something new. And it always comes from what's just come before and it implicitly contains that so this moment implicitly contains the last one contains the last one contains the last one so i don't think life is in, is lines i don't think life is i think it's the wrong metaphor we think of, of it like a rail track and it goes it goes past or i don't think time passes at all i think time accumulates i think there is more past now than when we started this conversation, when we started this conference. And this moment contains all of that. It contains all the things that have happened up to this moment. It contains you and me getting born. It contains us learning to speak. It contains the evolution of the human form. It contains the evolution of the whole of life. It contains the Big Bang. Everything that has ever happened is here now. If it wasn't, it would not be this moment. All that information has accumulated to make this moment this moment, and this moment is emerging from it. So there's not lines and all of that. It's actually like it's expanding and we are, we are it. So you don't think that uh, there's two types of time, that it is all now in one moment and it is lineal time? No, I don't. I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever. And it's also, a, a, to me, it's quite a depressing thought. It's, it's one of my least favorite ideas. Because if everything is all now in one moment, if anything which goes, it's already happened, which is what that does. It's, you know, everything's already, it means this conversation's meaningless. It means everything is meaningless. Because you think you have your opinions, Candy, but you've already said them in the, you know, they've already happened. Nothing's free. There's no creativity. Everything is predestined, even if you don't know it. And there's a, a deadness to that view of life. And I don't think it's got any, so it's a horrible view, in my view it, it seems to me. Well, and I, there's I no reason to believe saying. it. But people are saying now uh, that you can create your own timeline in the midst of Earth's that's timeline. That's right, Candy. And here's the key thing I'd like to leave you with. And, and you know, I hope I don't upset people. People say a lot of nonsense. And nowhere do they speak as much nonsense as in spirituality. Uh, really, heavens above, just most of it is nonsense. So, yeah, I think that's nonsense. I think there is one process by which being is becoming 
and we are it. And it hasn't become the future. That's the point. That this moment is the coexistence of the past and the possible. And the possible is the field of being which is unformed and can become everything. And the past is everything that has come into form already. And that's what we are. And you get to play a role in where it goes next. It hasn't all happened. You're not choosing other timelines. You are it. You are this accumulation of, 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 of evolution, of emergence. And I see no reason whatsoever to go for these extravagant ideas which have got no real basis apart from they may be sound fun or I don't know why people believe them. Um, but well, I, do... I think your idea is very hopeful. Uh, I'm a surprise that you assume that there was a Big Bang, because some people don't think there was. Well, but thank you so much. It, but it certainly wasn't big, and it certainly wasn't a bang. Uh, <laughs> it was very, very, very small, and it made no noise. So uh -huh. it, was a it started with a tiny silence. And I think the key idea there is, and, and maybe it wasn't even the first universe, but, but science definitely, I mean, the, the, the level of scientific knowledge is so enormous now. There's, there's huge things. We, of course, the infinite, we don't know. But the amount we've gathered in the hundred years since this idea, it's very impressive. And that's why it feels like spirituality really needs to hang on that, just how impressive it is, that we can trace it back to within a few seconds, mil million, mil mil millionths of a second from whatever you know you see the beginning but the key idea isn't any of that you don't need to understand science the key idea is to just go oh look it starts with the simplest and then it evolves into more complex and that's happened to you in your life it's happening now these new ideas can only be integrated because of the old ideas so everything is building expanding and like you said it's incredibly positive vision and utterly redemptive because it goes, everything can be redeemed because it's all evolving towards something better. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was awesome. <laughs> you are pretty bold. Uh, you are a very bold individual. And I, I love your certainty also. Thank you, Tim, for that. We have another question on time from a good friend and uh, presenter here at the conference, John Mundy. How do we talk about time being an illusion and talk about evolution at the same time? Yeah, well, I think I've probably covered that one, uh, yeah. my friend, which is, which is to say, I don't think time is an illusion. I think that is a fundamental mistake. It's a mistake also made in physics. Uh, not by all physicists. I like the ones that, that don't do that. And it's also a misunderstanding of physics. You know, like Einstein was, is quoted as saying time is an illusion. He, what he means by that is that absolute time is an illusion. He, it's, but the relative flow of causality is not an illusion. And that's what we're experiencing. So there, there is, I think the idea that time is an illusion is a very negative idea uh, for the reasons I've said. And I don't think it's true. And, and if you look at what you're, you know, it, to even say time is an illusion takes time. And you couldn't understand the last word, illusion, unless you knew about the first word, time is a. Everything, every experience you've ever had is predicated on a flow of change. So I think if we're going to make anything the basis of our understanding of existence, it should be there is a flow of change. And that flow is emergent and evolutionary. And so the idea that time is an illusion, along with all the other illusions, you know, the body is an illusion, self is an illusion, 
the world is an illusion. You know, what, what happens? And science is, can be as guilty of this because of its reductionism as spirituality is. They, they, what they both do is they, they go, let's understand this. And then the understanding they bring back is, oh, and none of it's real. It's like, well, that's not an understanding. That's a, that's, that's a cop-out. What is this actually? Because it seems pretty real. And, and, and let's give it some, let's give it the, the, the respect it deserves. Um, and time is, is key to that. Uh, he, John has a follow-up question, but I, I'd like to ask, make a comment on this because, um, Tim, I'm, uh, I, my feeling about what you just described or, or time, uh, 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 the illusion, the, the purpose or the most helpful use of the word or the, or the understanding of illusion is, is like a con, it's, it's like a, a step to, uh, to, to, to grow into an understanding and then you, you, the, the step goes away. To me, uh, the idea of an illusion is, is, to, is to give uh, priority to the absolute. And then the, uh, the illusion dissolves into the absolute of itself. And so for me, it's, just a, it's nothing more than a tool to get consciousness to the experience to to move into evolve into the ex understanding and then the experience of itself that that would be my my way of using time or um, using using illusion yeah yeah I, I hear exactly what you're saying bill I, there's two things i want to say firstly i want to pick up on something you said earlier which is i'm not sure of any of this i'm just i've just spent my whole life thinking about it so i've i've got something to say i'm not sure about any of this Life is the most enormous mystery. You push me hard enough, I don't know anything about anything. Everything I'm saying is predicated on, look at the mystery. Now, given that we've got a mystery, and given that you and me, Bill, have been living a fair old while, what have you made of it so far? And what I've been offering people is what I've made of it so far. And it keeps changing. You know, last night I was talking with a community I run called the International uh, Community of Individuals. And what I did in that session is something I've never done. I just took to, took to pieces one of my older books on about 18 years ago, which is probably one of my best books and most popular books, and just told everyone why it was wrong, because I now think it's wrong. So it's like there's no certainty like that. It's more like this is the best I can see, and this is what seems wrong with that idea. So what seems wrong with the idea you've just shared to me is that we don't need to do any of that. We can, if you understand this the, 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 the vision that I'm articulating, you can go, okay, so if you take your attention and you put it on the formless being, there will be no flow of change because there's nothing to change. At which point you will go, you're experiencing something which is timeless and you are because there's no change. And it's immense and extraordinary to do that. But when you bring your attention back, you'll go, I experienced timelessness for 20 minutes because there still is time, you just weren't conscious of it. Still there, and time is allowing you to have that moment of timelessness. And the, so, so just as form is arising from formlessness, time is arising from timelessness, and this becoming is arising from being, whatever words you wanna use, these, this, you can see this polarity. And we are the becoming part, but we can be conscious of the timeless part. But the timeless isn't everything's already happened, Time is nothing is happening, but everything could happen. 
So that possibility, which is just the presence, is playing itself out by realizing itself in ever more emergent ways in which what happens next builds on what happened before. It accumulates. And then you can see, yeah, time and timeless, they fit together. And you don't have to go down the road of this, it's all happened, it's all one big now, or it's all in together, there's lots of different lines, there's all of that stuff which is wildly extravagant and unnecessary. And, and in philosophy, there's this idea of something called Occam's razor, named after a man called Occam, which basically says, and I like it, it says, if you're offered two explanations, go for the simplest. Go for the one that's most elegant. And those, those, those stories seem far too convoluted and strange, and they don't, they don't hold together. And that's why I've ended up rejecting them and, 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 and don't, uh, don't take them seriously. Mm. Wonderful. Cool. Well, we have uh, one minute left, and I am going to invite you to either summarize and close or uh, answer a final question. Well, I think as it's literally a minute, I better summarize and close. And I'm let's, so sorry to everyone who uh, I didn't get the chance to um, ask, uh, off, uh, to answer your question. However, you know, if you come out and you connect with me, I spend a lot of time answering people's questions because, you know, my, my feeling is, you know, I'm 61 years old. Um, I don't know how long I'll live. I'll get as many years in as I can. And my experience of this incredible, beautiful mystery we're in is I want to do as much good as I can while I can. And this is what I do. And if this can help you become clearer in any way, I would love to do it. So contact me, send me your question. And if I can find the time, I will try and respond or invite you to a place where you can respond. Because like I said, you know, take someone from 400 years ago and show them the modern world and you could see what the scientific revolution did. We're heading for another one, but this is not going to be a revolution in science. This is going to be a revolution in spirituality. And for there to be a revolution in spirituality, it needs to shape up. It needs to get smart. And it needs to integrate its wisdom with this incredible body of scientific knowledge. And we can do that. And the process we're in with COVID, all, the, all of this is part of that evolution. Everything is. And my greatest hope is that um, our time together has been, uh, will, will fire off your ideas and for you to explore your life in such a way that uh, you can play as much of a role as you possibly can uh, in this great dance. So I'll, I'll leave you with this little thought. Someone, my, my son, uh, who's in his 25 now, had been discussing a... a um, uh, uh, you know, promotional thing online, you know, that people do uh, about, you know, what's your mission? And he said to me, uh, so what's your mission? Actually, he said, what are, what are the three words that sum up what you do? He just threw it at me. And I said, meaning and connection. And if you go deeper into what I do, you'll see the, how deep the connection bit actually goes because we haven't even touched that at all because we're the one conscious of itself. So it's about connection. It's about waking up together. And then he said, so what's your mission? And the words that came to me, I thought, oh, that is my mission, was I want to unleash the goodness that is in people. And that's what I would, uh, I hope we've done a little bit together over this hour and a half. And thank you, Bill, for giving me this fantastic opportunity to share and be part of this amazing conference.
Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim, for being with us. This has been a treat for us. We've, uh, our, th this community has never heard anything like you. You're like, <laughs> what the fuck just happened? <laughs> uh, thank you for being with us. This is amazing. I have totally enjoyed it. You have a lot of things to consider. And uh, uh, if you want to look, look, find out more about Tim, just go to the speaker showcase, please. Click on the link on Univigilism. And for you all that are going to meet us in the next breakout, where we have our panel of speakers. We have Maureen Muldoon will be a uh, breakout speaker. She'll be uh, she'll, with uh, Kelly Russell. Uh, th these are individual speakers. Corinne Zupko, Maureen Muldoon, Kelly Russell, and Matt Lyon are our next presenters and we're going to meet them in general session five just click out of here when i when i end the session and i'll see you in the general session five to meet our next panel of speakers thank you tim and until we meet again my brother bless you thank you amen bye-bye